My name is Mike Daniels, and uh, I have the privilege of stepping in for the pastor in the next couple of weeks as we look just simply at life-defining moments. And as you think about your life-defining moments, there are, there are moments that simply cauterize the work of God in each of our lives. Moments that you see as defining, whether it's the first time that you see your wife, it's the first time that you see or hold your child, whether it's you see that first time that you are shared the gospel with. And this morning, we're going to begin a short series on what are those life-defining moments. And on the afternoon of October the 20th, 2018, in the middle of a quiet Saturday afternoon, about 2.30 in the afternoon, there was a life-defining moment. At that point on October the 20th, on a Saturday at 2.30, there was a distress radio call that went out from the Gwinnett County Police Department that would begin a manhunt that had not been seen in this area for decades. It's the officer, Antoine Tony, and other officers were responding to a report of a suspicious vehicle parked near a middle school in Snowville. And as Officer Tony and other individuals approached the vehicle, Shots rang out from inside this parked car, striking him and ultimately taking his life. You see, this is a call that no one wants to hear. It is a call that echoes down the halls of justice. Officer down. Officer down. There is nothing more important at that moment. This is a life-defining moment. There's nothing more important at that moment for the entire police department, the dispatch center, other than mobilizing every available asset and resource to reach that officer and care for his or her needs and to catch those who are responsible. It was a sobering reality. I just kind of jumped in, didn't I? I just kind of jumped in this morning because that's the type of manhunt that often begins and almost always begins with calamity and many times ends in calamity. The passage of scripture we're gonna look at this morning, in fact, I get to stand here and we get to open our Bibles to Acts chapter nine in just a moment and we get to look at this passage of scripture this morning that points to a story in Acts about the life of Saul. In fact, we will recognize him as the Apostle Paul, but his name before conversion was Saul. He was a man who was on a manhunt. He was a man who would stop at nothing in order to bring about justice. He sought every available asset, every, uh, every resource. He turned over every rock and looked under every crevice in order to make right what he thought was wrong. And he persecuted believers in Jesus. He was, he was on a march of madness, we'll say this morning. He was on a march of madness. And hear me this morning, a kind of an overarching statement I want you to get this morning, is a journey outside of the will of God is simply a march of madness. Now, this morning, we welcome you here. We welcome those who have joined us online. And as you know, Dr. Merritt in 2019 determined that 2019 was going to be the year of discipleship. He determined that this would be a day that, or a year that we would study four major books. We would look at Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. All four of these books were written by the Apostle Paul. And all of this 
fit into this idea that we want to push people into this understanding, as has been mentioned twice already by Alex and Riley, we want to point people to Jesus and inspire them to live a cross-shaped life. In fact, one of the four elements of that has been mentioned, we want to disciple people. We want people over the course of this next year to understand what the scriptures say, we want them to understand what they mean, and we want them to live accordingly. And so when you see those four elements, worship, disciple, serve, and sin, you see this idea of disciple-making. And some short months ago, as we were talking about the summer series, pastors started preaching through Galatians. And in this time that pastor's going to be away, we wanted not to break the train of thought there, but what we wanted to do is we wanted to explore the life of this man who is considered to be the chief missionary of the early church. We wanted to look at one of the greatest characters, not only in the Bible, but all in all of human history. So in, in light of our discipleship study that we've been going through in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, we wanted to interject in these next couple of weeks and talk about this man named Paul, or before his conversion, his name is Saul. We ask this question, how did he become one of the greatest renowned disciple makers after being a manhunter. What made him tick? What developed his character? What were the things that shaped his desire to plant churches all over the ancient world? What can I learn from him today that might shape my future tomorrow? If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be kind of reading a good portion of the text this morning, but we're going to start out with Acts chapter 9, 1 through 5. If you have your Bibles, you can just read along with me. Acts 9, verse 1 says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, as we simply open the Bibles, I pray that you would speak and that, Father, I would get out of your way so that folks in the hearing of my voice, whether in this room or online, will simply be challenged to understand that any journey outside of the will of God is a march of madness. I pray that you would uh, just speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's turn our attention to this man named Saul this morning. It's almost impossible to sketch an accurate picture of the chief missionary of the ancient world the early church. It's even harder to do so in the next three weeks, but we're going to take a stab. There are literally volumes upon volumes of, of the Apostle Paul. In fact, I was talking to my friend a couple of weeks ago as we started thinking about this. He goes, oh man, you got to get this book on the Apostle Paul. It's written by such and such. And I looked it up and it's like that thick. Okay, well, I'll look at the table of contents and get some stuff. Okay, so here we go. We're going to take a stab at it. Let me just walk through some facts. Saul was by birth. He was a Jew. He was by citizenship a Roman. His dad was a Roman, so he was a Jew, but he had citizenship as a Roman. By education, he was a Greek. By the grace of God, he became a Christian in this story. He was strictly religious from an early age. In fact, as a young boy, he started memorizing the scriptures. He was super educated by the greatest philosopher, greatest teacher in the day. He was well-versed in Greek 
poetry, philosophy, and literature. He was gifted with a big personality. In fact, people would say he really was not a big man. If you know your history, a kind of a Theodore Roosevelt kind of man. He was a man's man, but he wasn't real tall. He was gifted with a big personality. He was strong in his demeanor, and he was fearless. He spoke with passion. He led with zeal. He would fight you in a heartbeat. In fact, if you look through the scripture, you see that we have 13 books of Paul that he wrote. You see him getting in confrontations with Peter and then some of the other ones. There's multiple times where he is standing up and he is speaking the truth and he doesn't care who hears it or what they think about it. In a word, Saul was a leader. Unfortunately, any journey outside of the will of God is simply a march of madness, even for a leader that's gifted. Now, this morning, I want you to notice a couple of things. The first thing is this, the passion of Paul. I want you to see in the first two verses, I want you to see the passion of Paul. Let's just read the first verse with us. But Saul's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Just stop there. This idea that he was still breathing threats. I want to go back a little bit, a chapter, chapter and a half, to chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Acts. You will see that Saul has just finished presiding over the death of of a devout follower of Christ named Stephen. In fact, Saul believed in these early days, he was, he was persecuting these believers. Why? He had a very devout belief in God. But he believed these early followers of Christ were teaching crazy things. He thought they were teaching against the very scriptures himself that he loved so dearly. In fact, he said, hey, these radical followers of this man named Jesus, they're saying crazy things like, Jesus is alive. We all saw him die. We've got to wipe these people out because they're given this a scriptures of bad name. And, and then they were saying things like he is the Messiah. And certainly this cannot be the case because he came from Nazareth. He was born in a stable. He lived a common life. And surely this coming Messiah that I read about in the Holy Scriptures will come with much more fanfare than this man. Saul saw that these Christ followers was blaspheming this God that he loved. And he took it upon himself to purge them. In fact, he was in Jerusalem. He started purging this city and the surrounding areas. And a great persecution persisted. Believers were scattered from Jerusalem. They were running from this persecution. They were running into the neighboring cities. And in fact, Acts 8.3 says this. Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He presided over the death of Stephen. Then he started dragging men and women off to prison who were following this Jesus. Paul's passion was so intense that he could not contain himself to just Jerusalem. In fact, he wasn't satisfied with that. He sought permission by the high priest to leave his area and go into the neighboring cities and say, hey, listen, give me a piece of paper, a document that I may go in with, with authority that I may take them back and bring them back so that they may be convicted in Jerusalem. He went across the border in neighboring cities, even to the story presents Damascus, 150 miles north, probably six to seven days of walking he, he was zealous. He was passionate about what he thought was right. Go back to verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that he, with permission, that if he found any belonging to the way, 
men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, the ones who were following the way were the ones who were following Jesus. What did Jesus say? You remember what he used to say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So they, followers were called, they were followers of the way. This was before the word Christian was actually even used. These were followers of the way. And Paul, Saul needed permission to chase the followers outside of Jerusalem. In fact, he probably was probably... The first bounty hunter, it was a manhunt. He was a man who was going in search of those who were blaspheming against the scriptures and the God that Saul knew. He was looking for those who identified with this leader that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Even if misdirected this morning, Saul was passionate. This morning, let me ask you the question, are you passionate this morning? What do you believe in so strongly and passionately that you would give your life, your energy, your singular focus, your resources, even your life for? If I were to ask you that, what are you passionate about? Your passion, I would say, is determined by your belief. One of the passions I have is I have a day job and I also have a night job and I do on Monday nights. I teach young singles here at the church. College students, young singles, I absolutely love it. Why? Because you know what? Some of those young singles haven't been told no yet. They haven't been told that memorizing is, is not a good thing. They've been told, hey, listen, go out and change the world. And I love every Monday I meet in the basement of this other building over here. And at 6.30 p.m., we just have a group of folks. And we're pouring over the scriptures. We open the Bible up. And we just teach them. And I'm passionate about that. It's something I would do for free. Your passion is determined by your belief. And that's what we see in Saul's life. What is it that you chase relentlessly? I dare say whatever you chase is that one thing that is most important to you. See the passion of Paul. Second thing, notice the conversion of Paul. Verses three through seven says this three, this goes from verse three. Now as he went on his way, as Saul went on his way, he approached Damascus with these letters in hand and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. In fact, this story is told three different times. It's really the same story, but it's told in uh, Gen uh, Acts chapter nine and then 22 and 26. It's where Paul is recounting. He's giving his testimony to some of the, some of the uh, rulers and kings. He's saying, let me tell you what God did on the road to Damascus and he tells this story over again. You learn different bits and pieces. In Acts 22, you find out he, when this light shone, it's shown at midday around noon. Saul is pursuing these followers of the way even during the time of day, during the Middle Eastern siesta, when people would relax and rest and kind of just chill for a little bit. Not Paul, not Saul. Saul, he, he continues his hunt. Why? Because there is work to be done. He does not want, somebody is blaspheming his God and he can't stand for it. And suddenly a light, there, this is not just some any light. It is a light that's shown brighter than the midday Middle Eastern sun. Midday Middle Eastern sun. Verse four, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And at this point, Saul is in a pickle. He's in a pickle because he is pursuing the followers of the way as described in verse 2 because they said Jesus is alive and that he was the coming Messiah. And now here Saul is with this blinding light that's brighter than the midday 
Middle Eastern sun in his face, and he is confronted with a voice that has blinded him and is saying he's Jesus. And it seems pretty obvious that this Jesus has significant resources and abilities enough to control the light and potentially, perhaps, this might be the Messiah. Everything in Saul's life is now coming to a point. Saul, in his blindness and in this moment of infirmity with all of his available senses, he laser focuses. He cannot see, but with his ears, he listens to the very voice that comes out and he says, I am Jesus. Verse 6. But arise. This voice says, but arise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. All the men who heard the voice, the traveling companions, they were on his team. They were seeking these followers of the way. They wanted to persecute. They had perhaps handcuffs or, or, or ties to tie their, uh, bind their feet and their hands. They were carrying them back. And here they are. They see this light, and they're speechless. They see this light. They hear this voice. They can't make out who it is or what the words were. But this mo moment, Saul understood, and he responded with belief. You see, this is a moment that it's a conversion of Saul's will, his intellect, and his emotions. When you meet Jesus, everything changes. When you meet Jesus, everything changes, every activity of his life. And from this point, every stroke of his pen will be forever impacted by this moment when he moves from darkness to light. Physically, all was dark in his life. Spiritually, all was brought into the light at this moment. He could not see, yet he heard the voice and he understood what God was calling and what God was doing in his life. In fact, in, in the books that follow, in, in, when Paul later speaks to the Corinthians in the book of 2 Corinthians, he encourages the believers there in that church. He said, let your light shine out of darkness. There's no one that knew quite what that meant. Fully to understand, let your light shine out of your darkness. He knew because this is what happened to him in this conversion moment. Your conversion is determined by your belief about Jesus and how you respond in faith. We've looked at the passion of Paul. We've looked at the conversion of Paul and the fact that Jesus changes everything. Now notice the third thing in our passage, the purpose of Paul. Verse eight, Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. The light from the very presence of Christ knocked him to the ground, left him blind and on his rear end. Get the picture. What a different entry he made into Damascus from what he expected and thought he would. He thought he was going to terrorize that city, but he came in crawling to the door of a man named Judas's house. He was once a self-confident, zealot, religious fanatic with the high priest letters of authority clutched in his hand and hatred in his heart. Now he's a blind shell of his former self. 
helplessly being led by the hand into the city he previously planned to terrorize. He went from an angry bull to a docile lamb. This leader had to be led by the hand into the city in which he had his eyes set upon. That's the impact of Jesus on a man's life. Jesus changes everything. When you and I meet Jesus, everything changes. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus, a different place in the city. You see that we're going to see in just a moment that Saul went was led off to a man's na- a house named Judas. And then we see over here on another part of Damascus, another disciple. Look at what it says. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and to the house of Judas and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. Now, here's what happens. Clear directions. I want you to go to this street. I want you to go to this man's house. You're looking for this person and this is what he is doing. Verse 12. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So in the midst of this this vision that Ananias has, when God comes and speaks to Ananias, it talks about a vision that Paul is having in another location about Ananias coming to him and restoring his sight. And here's what I want you to look at this morning is enter this obscure man named Ananias. Now, this is not to be confused with the Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. This man will only be mentioned in this one context in all of the Bible, and he will never be seen again. But oh, was he used of God. He had a task. If you would imagine this task that was given to go and confront a man who is breathing murderous threats against all of the people of Christianity. Imagine if you were a believer in Damascus and you heard a fire-breathing terrorist was headed your way looking for people that believed and spoke like you do. It's probably not the thing that you go, hey, let's meet, let's have coffee. It is not normal for the hunted to minister to the hunter. But that is exactly what took place here. Verse 13, and Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. A believer in Damascus, 150 miles north of Jerusalem, had heard of this man. How much evil he had done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Understandably, Ananias is coming concerned, thinking, hey, listen, I'm not sure I want to be a part of this. I'm not sure I want any of this. He's still threatening us. He's still coming with his gaze set upon us. Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Verse 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. In this moment, Saul had a purpose. It is revealed to him what your purpose is to be. He is to carry the name of Jesus to the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. Saul had a purpose, and I believe this morning we have a purpose. You have a purpose, and I have a purpose. We are to carry the great name of Jesus to those in which we have an opportunity to influence. Now, why do we say this over and over? 
there's a marketing uh, idea that when you, f- when you get tired of saying it, the people are just starting to get it in their bones. We talk about our purpose. We exist to point people to Jesus and inspire them to live the cross-shaped life. And we have, given cl- we, have, we have tried to sit down and articulate what does that actually mean to live a cross-shaped life. It's easy to say we want to point people to Jesus. But what does it mean to live a Christ-honoring, Christ-shaped life? And so what we did was we sat down as a staff and we said, hey, what are the very words of Jesus? What are the things that we can easily grab onto that Jesus said go and do? And we can likewise, without any hesitation, say, I got it. Jesus said to engage in worship. In John chapter 4, he said, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers, Jesus said this, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus encouraged us to disciple and to be discipled. He said this in Matthew 28, the Great Commission gives clear words. Go therefore and make disciples. Jesus said for us to make disciples. We are to serve, Matthew 20, the Son of Man came not to serve, be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then we have this fourth term, send. John 20, 21, Jesus says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. Our purpose, your purpose, is found in our conversion. We are to carry the name of Jesus to those in which we influence. This was Saul's conversion moment and also his purpose-defining moment. How can we today, 2,000 years later, apply this story to our lives? I have four questions, just briefly. Are you a worshiper this morning? Perhaps you're online and you are sitting with a group of people. Maybe you're by yourself. Are you a worshiper this morning? What was Saul doing? Ananias was told, hey, you're gonna go to this place and you're gonna find this man and what's he going? He is praying. He was, he was praying. He was seeking the face of his new, his new father, his new savior. He was trying to figure out what that looked like. We see this idea of submission. He was fasting and praying later in the story in 22 and 36 of Acts. You see, or 26 of Acts, you see that for three days he fasted and prayed. He was seeking God's direction. Do you worship consistently and regularly, privately and corporately together? Are you a disciple maker? Second question, are you a disciple maker? The one way that this Ananias was described is a disciple at Damascus. He was one who was not only being discipled, but he was discipling others. Two weeks ago, Sunday, a man named Gene Calloway, a friend of mine who serves in our church, He came up to me and he says, I'm not sure what I'm doing, but I just sense the Lord wanting me to take a young man or two or a couple, three, and meet with them and just spend some time with them, pouring my life into them. And I said, all right, Gene, I don't know what to do with that, but I'm going to pray. And the next day, that was on Sunday, the next day, Monday night, I had a young single adult engineer came up to me and he said, hey, listen, I just need somebody that's an older guy that's willing to pour into my life, maybe meet with me, just encourage me in some things outside of Bible study, outside of service, outside of serving over in our student ministry. And here's what happened. I said, I know the guy. The next Sunday, I got them two together. I said, come here, Gene, come here. And I said, listen, y'all two, y'all get together. And I got a report this past week that the two of them had lunch together and the young man was so thrilled that somebody was willing to disciple him. 
Are you a disciple maker? Third question is, are you a server? Are you involved in some area of service in your body, in your church? Dr. Merritt is so passionate about winning souls to Christ in our staff meetings. He says, hey, gentlemen, if you're not going to share your faith, then how in the world can we ever ask our church to do the same? The problem is James Merritt is prolific in soul winning. And, but it challenges all of us. And he'll say, did you share Christ? And if you nod your head, yeah, he'll ask the name. Tell me the name that you are continuing to pray for. Who is it that you genuinely want to be a part of their life? So here's the question I have. The Bible says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What if this church were made of volunteers who served like you do? Now, maybe that's a little pointed, but that's a good question because we're talking about a group of people that are following Christ's followers. What does it look like? They're servers. They're servants. And if this church were filled up with a bunch of people that work and serve like you do in this church, would our preschool area be filled? Would our children's ministry have any lack of workers? This is not about a guilt trip. I wrote this in here because I want to say this. I wrote it just a few minutes ago because I said, hey, I don't want this to be a guilt trip, but a desire for each individual to fulfill their purpose. Saul here understands his purpose. There's opportunities galore here at this church. Preschool, children, I wrote some things down. Students, small group leaders, technical production, camera operators, singers, greeters, parking cars, hospitality, coffee makers, bulletin stuffers, event organizers, and phone call makers. There's a whole lot. All it takes is the, a person like Gene to just say, hey, listen, I want to get involved. I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm not sure how to do it. You ask one of our staff. We'll say, all right, let's talk about you and how we can plug you in. This seems like a pretty good uh, time to mention. CP serves. It's already been mentioned a couple times. Uh, July the 22nd, I'm not going to belabor. But here's the deal. We get the opportunity. We get the opportunity to serve the the community. In fact, I think there's a screen behind me. And here's the deal. We get the opportunity to minister to a community and, and point the way to Jesus. Not only that, but we have the opportunity to simply sign up and get involved. Are you a server? Or are you a sender? Last question. Are you a sender? Paul's call is a universal call to all believers and to carry the name of Jesus to every man, woman, or child in the hearing of our voices. Is Jesus who he says he is or not? Is Jesus the Messiah who came to take away the sins of the world regardless of how we feel or may not feel about this coming assignment? Ananias wasn't thrilled about the assignment. But he responded based on his belief. This morning you walked in. There's a big truck outside. The guys came to me this past uh, week or two and said, hey, I want to put a truck on the patio. I thought that was a ridiculous idea. I really did. I said, hey, listen, there's some other people right here that want to park their cars on the patio too. You're going to have just a parking lot right out there. The reason we put that there was simply to remind you week in and week out of this coming day, August the 11th. Alex did a great job talking about it. Fan day. David Pollock, ESPN, football star. Why do we do that? Because we see that it fits in our, our job of pointing people to Jesus. Why? Because David was radically saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is going to happen up here is we're going to bring this together for the purpose of sharing the gospel with people that may or may not naturally Walk through the doors of our church. 
we get the opportunity to not just talk about who's your one, but bringing your one. So on that day, I encourage you to be an Ananias. Don't let your fear of rejection or your anxiety to engage your neighbor or your uneasiness to keep you from participating. Act just as Ananias, you are sent. I am sent. And here's what's so unique about this is Ananias was a common man. There was nothing special about him. If he was overly special, we'd see him pop up all throughout the New Testament. This is his one shot. Jesus will use you if you're just willing. The passion of Saul was, in, uh, was significant. The conversion of Saul was life-changing. The purpose of Saul this morning was clear. He was to carry the name of Jesus to the nations, to the old and the young, to the rich and the poor, the significant and the insignificant. And the last thing I want you to notice is this. What's the response of Paul in our text? So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias put his personal preference aside and he went to this house and look what he did. He touched Saul. This man who had been touching others but not in a way that was a brotherly Christian type of touch. You see, God uses ordinary human hands to minister to people. CP serves day in a couple of weeks. We have the opportunity simply to put backpacks out to feed the hungry, to introduce Crosspoint and Jesus to the area neighborhoods and the area apartment complexes. You see, we talked about Fan Day. Fan Day is an opportunity just simply for you to invite your one, bring your one, and bring high school folks, high school kids. You know a high school kid, you know a high school football player. We wanna simply introduce them to Jesus. Perhaps a discipleship leader in the second, fifth, seventh, or 11th grade may be your response. Maybe holding a baby in the preschool or my wife who's sitting over here, the second hour she is always corralling, teaching, chasing two-year-olds. God uses ordinary human hands just like yours. He touched him. And he called him brother. This was, this was Saul's first Christian friend. It was good enough for Jesus, Ananias said, it's good enough for me. This was a term of endearment, a term of family identity. He said, hey, hey, brother. He knew that he was sent by Jesus to a task that was specifically his. Think about what might be specifically yours, your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your family member, specifically somebody that is yours to reach. Ananias knew who his one was. Saul's, think about this, Saul's only frame of reference of what a godly man looked like was when he saw Stephen dying at his feet. In Acts 7, 59, it says this, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice and said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. That was the only frame of reference Saul had of a godly man who understood his purpose. Your response today will be determined by your belief. After meeting Jesus, your life is forever changed. 
God desires to call you from darkness to life, from death to life. The life giver wants to give you life today. Not for your purposes, but for the glory of God himself. What will be your response this morning? Will it be about your agenda or about your needs and your wants and your aspirations and your desires? Or will it be not my will be done, but yours, God? You see, that's a hard question for all of us to answer. In fact, Jesus struggled with that very question. Do you remember in the garden? Jesus was struggling with, do I have to give my life? Do I have to go through pain and agony and betrayal? He says this in Matthew 26, the father, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What are you willing to say this morning? Are you willing to say, not my will, but your will? Are you willing to reorient your passions from football and soccer and wealth and fame and video games and perfectly chiseled bodies? Are you willing to reorient your priorities from chasing unrealistic, trivial pursuits? Perhaps a child's athletic stardom, a golf handicap, a bigger house, a shinier car, or a bigger whatever in order to pursue God's will and God's way. As we close, are you willing to forgo that extra hour of sleep on a Sunday morning to minister to a group of children, middle schoolers or high schoolers? Are you willing to give up that new putter in order to send a kid to camp? Are you willing to use your bedroom for the gospel? See, this couple weeks ago, Riley Lester, who's sitting right over here, He's our high school pastor. He had the opportunity, just simply, he saw a need. And the need was not a $20 bill. The need was not a meal. The need was not clothing. The need was not time. The need was a place to stay. And he and Savannah opened up their home for about three days to a young man that just needed a place to go. You see, that kind of spirit, that kind of response to the Lord Jesus is not a pastoral thing. It's a believer thing. It's a gospel thing. And what was Saul's response to the Spirit of God? He rose, he was baptized, he took food, and he was strengthened. Why? Because he had work to do. You have work to do, and so do I. This morning, I began a conversation speaking about a manhunt that ensued for Officer Tony's assailant who fatally shot him on that terrible October day. All resources, all personnel, and all-out manhunt ensued for those who were responsible to bring them to justice. In a similar way, God did the same thing for Paul. He put all his resources, his one and only son, and he put every effort in an all-out manhunt for Saul, the, the persecutor of Christians. And the hunter became hunted. The persecutor became the preacher. The adversary became the apostle. The terrorizer became tame. The sinner was gloriously saved. However, Jesus didn't do that. He just didn't turn his attention and his resources to Paul only. This heavenly manhunt applies to you and to me. If you don't know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ today, Jesus desires for you to move from spiritual darkness and to have a glorious light shown in your life.
spiritual blindness be turned to glorious sight. That you would be moved from death to life. In fact, Paul, who wrote 13 books of our New Testament, and 14 if you count Hebrews, Paul writes this, based upon this conversion experience, he said, all have sinned and fallen short of, every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I know because I'm, in fact, later he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. He says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means you and me. And all deserve death and the full wrath of God. All of us have sinned and all of us deserve eternity in hell. But Paul, because of this experience, because of this, he can write in Romans 10, 9, he says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be gloriously and radically saved. Four little verses later, he says this. Whoever, whoever calls, whoever does that, whoever confesses with their mouth, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Regardless of who you are, where you come from, or what you've done, a life-changing, life-defining moment can be yours today. Would you bow your heads all across the room? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, perhaps you've been chasing an understanding and a belief that was just not honoring to the Lord. Then any journey outside of the will of God is simply a march of madness. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus that Jesus is the, the one who came to save you, then all you have to do is ask him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins. You can pray this with me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that like Saul, I deserve death, but gloriously save me today. Come into my life and forgive me of my sins. Lord, right now, all across this room, would you allow us simply to recognize that God, you a glorious God who pursues us. You shine the light on him. You are the one who initiates salvation. You are the one who initiates relationships with us. And even now, Father, would you change lives? Because we know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is alive. He is the Messiah. And when we meet him face to face, everything changes. Father, would you use us now and use this time pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On your way in, you have a little card. And on that card, there's a couple little, uh, there's a couple little circles. If for some reason you said, hey, listen, today was the very first time that I ever felt that God was moving in my life and I became a Christian today. I asked Jesus to come into my heart. I realized what God was speaking of. Would you just check that box I want to know more about Jesus. Second box is perhaps you've never been biblically baptized. Remember what happened to Saul? He went and got baptized. He arose and went and got baptized, and then he ate and was strengthened. Perhaps you've never been biblically baptized, and you would want to do that today. And then the third thing is perhaps you want to find out more about what this looks like, those four pillars, the idea of what we believe and how we are, are pushing forward, and you want to be a part of our starting point class, I invite you to come. In fact, if you can go to the back and you can talk to someone at Connection Point, and they'll give you all the information. Thank you so much for being here. Who's coming? Here's Bruce. Bruce, close us out.
Thanks, Mike. Hey, listen, as, uh, as you're preparing to leave today, one of the things I'd like to tell you about, you want to give... So, uh, one of the things you may not realize, kind of two things that are different that go on during this summer.